0: This is the Mahabharata Podcast, Episode 98, Epilogue, The Beginning. In case you were wondering what I was going to do next, now that we've reached the end of the epic, I feel like the story should be rounded out by continuing it, as best we can, beyond the death of the Pandavas, through the life of their grandson Pariksit, and onto the events of the snake sacrifice, which was the reason for the telling of the epic in the first place. We sort of went through this, way back at the beginning, but at the time, the characters and setting were too unfamiliar to make much sense out of it. So I'd like to revisit the beginning, so the grand cycle that is the Mahabharata might be completed. Before we begin, I would like to again thank you for staying with me through this near century of episodes and making it this far. Although the bard tells us that I should be paid a gilded cow for my services, I've asked for very little. The one thing I would like to see is a sort of guest book of the folks who made it all the way to the end. So please, if you have not done it already, visit my blog at MahabharataPodcast.com and leave me a message. You can also email me at mahabharatapodcast.comcast.net. To me, my greatest reward in doing this project is to hear from you, so thank you. The first book of the epic contains quite a bit of information regarding the descendants of the Pandavas, but it is somewhat garbled in its presentation. So instead of following along with the text, I'll begin with the events following the death of the Pandavas and the reign of Arjun's grandson, Parikshit. I have not found any reference to the fates of the last living Karavas, Kripa and Yuyutsu. I can only presume that they died peacefully and made way for their young king to rule in his own right. Despite the tremendous demographic shift that must have resulted from the Great War, it appears that the political system of India pretty much went back to the formal status quo. New kings were placed on the old thrones of India's ancient kingdoms, and the king in Hastinapur was something like first among equals. Pariksit did not seem to have any ambitions beyond ruling his own kingdom and having a good time. He was most like his ancestor Pandu, and that he was much more interested in hunting than in warfare or administration. When it came to hunting, he was the best archer on earth. He exercised his privileges over the other kingdoms by traveling the earth hunting deer, swine, hyena, buffalo, and others. The first recorded incident of his reign also spelled out the end of it, as well as the end of his life. It says in the Astika Parva, in the Book of the Beginning, that one day while out hunting, Pariksit shot at a deer with a smooth arrow, but the arrow failed to kill the deer and it ran off into the woods. This was a first for our expert bowman and he regarded it as a bad omen. Should this deer get away from him, it would surely indicate that his end was near. Thus the king slung his bow over his shoulder and went into the jungle in pursuit of his wounded quarry. The deer managed to keep just ahead of him until the king was led deep into the forest. Now tired and thirsty, Pariksit came across a hermit in the woods. This guy was one of those super ascetics who lived off the milk froth left behind by nursing calves. He was also observing a vow of silence at the time. Unaware of his vow, Pariksit addressed the holy man. He said, Hey Brahmin, I'm your king. I've shot a deer, but it got away from me. Have you seen it? The hermit was not going to violate his oath for some king, so he remained silent. Annoyed at being ignored by this nobody, Pariksit saw a dead snake laying nearby. So he picked it up with the crook of his bow and draped it over the shoulders of the ascetic. The hermit still said nothing, but Pariksit began to feel pangs of conscience. So, nervously, he gave up the chase and returned home. This hermit also had a son, and the boy was nothing like his tolerant and humble father. Named Shringen, he was prickly and ambitious. He was also pretty powerful. In fact, while his father was in the woods being teased by Pariksit, the son was often the presence of the god Brahma himself. When the boy returned to earth, he was greeted by a friend named Krishna, who was also an ascetic son. When Krishna saw Shringa coming, he laughed at him, saying, Ha ha, you think you're so powerful, but here's your old man with a corpse on his shoulders. Where's all your pride and arrogance now? Already getting hot under the collar, Shringen asked menacingly, What do you mean that my father carries corpses? His excited friend then told him about Pariksit and the snake. Shringa said, What has my father done that would induce that evil king to do such a thing? Krishna said, King Pariksit, son of Abhimanyu, was chasing a wounded deer when he came across your father. He was weak with thirst and fatigue, but your old man just sat there like a stone. The king asked him again and again about the lost deer, but your dad would not answer. So the king flung a dead snake over his shoulders and then left for his capital at Hastinapur. When Krishna had finished his tale, Shringa was so angry that he burned with rage. Without a second thought, he touched water and cursed the king. He said, For touching my elderly father with a dead snake, that evil king shall be bitten by the great snake Tukshaka within seven days. He is a despiser of Brahmins and a disgrace to his dynasty. He then went up to his father, who was still sitting there quietly, the snake still on his shoulders. The boy got even more enraged as he beheld it. Shedding tears of grief, he told his father about the curse. The old man said, You have done me no favors, my boy. It is not right for ascetics to be so vengeful. You know we live under that king's protection. He makes it safe for us to pursue our vows. What the king did was wrong, but our duty is to be submissive to our protector. The crews have always been good to us. Today the king came here tired and irritable. He had no way of knowing that I was observing a vow of silence. What you did was wrong. The king did not deserve your curse, my son. The boy held his ground, however. He said, Whether I did the right thing or made a mistake, you can be sure that it will not be countermanded. I never speak a falsehood, and I shall not take back my words. His father was soothing, but he reprimanded his son. He advised the boy to learn to control his anger better, because anger is the quickest way to burn up one's ascetic merit. He said, Heaven is for those who forgive. With forgiveness you will win realms beyond even that of Brahma. The old ascetic then sent one of his disciples off to Hastinapur to inform the king of his fate. The king was genuinely contrite when he heard of the curse, and he regretted the act more than the death sentence he had received. Pariksit then huddled with his counselors to make a plan on what to do next. The first thing they did was construct a platform that stood on a single pillar and place the king on top of that so no snake could sneak up on him unawares. Secondly, they summoned Rishi, Kashyapa, who could cure the king should he get bitten. When the king Parikshik conducted his business high up on a one-legged platform, the sage Kashyapa hurried over to save him. Also hurrying to get to the king in time was the snake king, Takshaka. The snake and the sage met each other on the road. Takshaka greeted the sage warmly and asked after his business. Kashyapa told him of his mission to cure the king of the predicted snake bite. Takshaka had quite a venomous bite, so he couldn't believe that this guy could really cure his victim once bitten. Amiably, Kashyapa agreed to a test. Takshaka bit into a banyan tree, which instantly burst into flames and then disintegrated into ashes. It was quite impressive, but even that was not too much for the Rishi. Taking up the ashes, he formed them into a sprout, which then began to grow back into a mature tree before their eyes. The snake was quite impressed, and he became concerned that this guy might just hinder his purpose. Taking another approach, he said, What is it that you expect to gain by helping this king? Is it money you want? I can give you whatever wealth he would, and more. Just name your price. The snake warned him that Pariksit had been cursed by a powerful Brahmin, so it was quite likely that even Kashyapa would fail to revive him. The Rishi considered this a while, and then concluded that should he try reviving the king and fail, it would make him look bad, so he might as well take the money and run. Just to be sure, Kashyapa sat in meditation for a while, during which time his intuition told him that the king's days were numbered. So with that confirmation, he accepted the snake's offer and turned back for home, laden with ridges. What made this story so difficult to untangle when we first encountered it, is that the story begins from the perspective of the snakes. Apparently, what set all these events in motion was an ancient curse by the mother of all the snakes, that they would one day be roasted in a fire sacrifice performed by Jhanna of the pandaveas And the reason for this curse goes back to the famous churning of the ocean, that produced the amrit, or elixir of immortality. It begins with Kadru, who is one of the daughters of Daksha, who married Kashyapa and gave birth to the snakes. Her sister, Vinata, was also married to Kashyapa, and she was the mother of the great eagle, Garuda, who later became famous as an eater of snakes. It was one of Kadru's snake offspring, Vasuki, who was used as the rope that churned the mountain to produce the amrit. If you recall from the last time we discussed this story, along with the Amrit, the goddess Shri and a horse were born from the churning of the ocean. For some reason, these sister wives of Kashyapa had wagered on the color of the horse. Kadru bet that it was black and white, while her sister bet that the horse was all white. They wagered their freedom for a year. Whoever lost the bet would be the other's slave for one year. Kadru became worried that she might just lose this bet. So she called on her sons in private and asked them for a favor. She told them to make themselves really small, like black hairs, and attach themselves to the horse and make sure he had a mottled appearance. It doesn't say why, but her sons refused to take part in this deception, so she cursed them. It was a very specific curse, that her sons and all their descendants would one day be roasted by the Kuru king, Janamajaya. News of the curse quickly reached the god Brahma, and he decided to let it stand, His reason being that there were so many snakes infesting the earth, and their venom was too destructive of other creatures. Kadru's firstborn son was the famous cosmic snake Sesha, who became a pal of Vishnu's and later incarnated as Krishna's big brother, Balram. Sesha did not think much of his race, and did not desire to hang out with his brothers. He went under the earth, and there he performed austerities with the goal in mind of shedding his snake incarnation as soon as possible. But instead, his austerities became invaluable over time, and Brahma gratefully recruited him to be the upholder of the earth. In return, he was not required to live among his Ghosh snake brothers. It turned out that Kadru's subterfuge was completely unnecessary, because the horse naturally had some dark spots, so Vinata became her sister's slave. Nevertheless, the old curse still stood, and her sons got together to work out a way to survive their mom's wrath. Being a bunch of snakes, their initial ideas were all rather sneaky. They considered killing the officiating priest at the last moment, or even killing the king himself to prevent the curse from being enacted. Since the eldest Seisha was hiding under the earth, it was the second-born Vasuki who chaired the meeting. He did not like the proposal so far, because trickery is unlikely to be effective in the face of a curse. Instead, he decided to petition the god Brahma for a reprieve. Even the other gods had thought his judgment was a bit harsh, so they took up the snake's appeal. Brahma said, There are just too many of these dang snakes. They're mean and poisonous. I allowed the curse to go through out of compassion for all the other animals. So here's what I'll do. Only the worst of the snakes shall die. The good snakes will be spared at the last moment. A great sage will be born, named Jarakkaru. He shall have a son named Astika, And that boy shall bring the sacrifice to a stop before all the good snakes are exterminated. Astika's mother shall have the same name as his father. As it happened, Vasuki had a sister named Jarakaru. So all he needed to do was wait for a suitor to come along who had the same name as his sister. The book that tells the story of the snakes and the death of Parichit actually begins with the story of the Brahmin named Jarakaru. A descendant of the Yuvara clan, Jarakaru was a very determined ascetic who lived on very little food and never thought for women or having a family. But one day, in his wanderings, he had a vision, in which a crowd of people were all hanging by their feet in a cave. He asked them who they were, and they said, We are the Yavaras, who have fallen to the earth for lack of progeny. You see, we have only one descendant left living, named Jadokkaru, and this unfortunate man has become an ascetic. Foolishly, he does not desire to take a wife, so now we are here, hanging by that one thread, and should this man die childless, we shall be forever lost." Jarak knelt before these people and said, I am the one you speak of. Tell me what I can do to save you. They said, Please, try to find a wife and settle down. It is only by continuing the line of our family that we can be rescued from here. Even though he had formerly been steadfast against the notion of being a family man, for the sake of his ancestors, Jarak agreed to seek out a well-born and virtuous wife on whom he promised to beget a faithful and devoted son. His only requirement was that his wife should have the same name as his. But of course, Jarakaru was already quite mature and was totally impoverished, and had no prospects for ever finding wealth. So it turned out finding a wife was not so easy, even by any name. After much searching, the Brahmin retreated to a grove of trees and meditated on his conundrum. It was then that the snake Vasuki appeared and offered his sister to marry him. And wouldn't you know it, Vasuki's sister was also named Jarakaru. Clearly, this was a match made in heaven. So, the Brahmin accepted the snake woman as his wife. True to his promise, Jarakaru had a son named Astika, who would one day be the savior of the snakes. So now, everything is set up, and all the characters are in position. Kadru cursed all of the snakes to be burned up in Janamejaya's fire, and Sringa cursed Pariksit to be bitten by the snake Takshaka. Takshaka has guaranteed Pariksit's demise by buying off the sage Kashyapa and the elder snakes have arranged for a savior to deliver them from Janamajaya's revenge. Pretty complicated, eh? Now you can see why I skimmed over this in the start of this podcast. The pieces are all in place. Now we only need to set them in motion. Next time we'll do just that, and cover the death of Parikshit and the revenge his son takes out on all the snakes. In the process, he shall hear the entirety of the Mahabharata, narrated by Vaisampayana in Vyasa's presence. Thanks for listening.